church family. It's always a joy to be here together on the Lord's Day. Um, a couple years ago, I invested in a fun little toy. Well, they call it a tool, but I call it a toy. Um, it's one of these laser measures. Anybody have these? A couple of us do. So it's really cool because you can actually measure distance, obviously. Um, but with this, you can measure square footage. You can measure cubic feet of an area. And you can even measure the, the height of something in a distance by triangular calculations. I mean, it's, it's really neat. Um, and there's, there's a lot of other tools that we use to measure things. For example, and help me out. What does a barometer measure? Some of you guys are not very confident. Atmospheric pressure. What does a scale measure? Some people don't like to know that. Wait. What about a thermometer? Temperature. What about a stopwatch? Time. But how do you measure ministry? We have a lot of tools to measure things, but how can we measure ministry? And I think in our passage today, Paul is going to help us understand one way that we can measure ministry. So as you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and in a minute we're going to start in verse 7, I'll just remind ourselves that last week, Pastor Russell started the beginning of the end of Paul's letter, if that's confusing enough or not. Chapter 10, verse 1, starts sort of the last major section of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and it ends in chapter 13 at the very end. Um, and in this section, like many other sections that we have seen in 2 Corinthians, it is highly autobiographical. So Paul is here defending his apostleship. He is, he's talking about the struggles that he has gone through for the sake of the Corinthian church. And although it is very autobiographical, talking about the life of Paul and his ministry, the Lord has several important lessons for us to learn. So let's not miss those as we go through these next several weeks in our study of 2 Corinthians. And I believe that in this section that we're going to talk about today, Paul is going to give us three essential aspects to consider when measuring a ministry. Three important concepts that we should take in mind, that we should keep in mind as we evaluate a ministry. And today, and I put this on your notes, for our purposes, um, I gave us a working definition of what a ministry is. Now, ministry is not only what ministers and staff leaders do on a Sunday morning or throughout the week. That is indeed ministry, but it's not only that. Ministry also is not only an organized group of volunteers that meet needs of certain people in the community, although that also is ministry. But I want us to remember this, that ministry is an area of service where you can use your gifts, talents, and abilities to glorify God and to edify the body of Christ. That's what ministry is. It's not somebody else out there. It's not him or her. This is, as, if you are a believer in Christ this morning, God has given you a ministry. And it is the area of service where you can use your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to glorify God and to edify the body of Christ. And if you, and if you, if you flip over your, your outline, and I know it's on the back, but this is what we're going to talk about today, and this is our big idea. And the big, the big idea is this, is that our ministry measures up when we serve with a godly character, when we strive to, to edify the body of Christ, and when we seek the commendation of the Lord and not men. So if you miss everything else I say, which is probably okay, um, let's, let's go home with that big idea. But... Now let's see what the Bible has to say. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the first part of evaluating a ministry has to do with our character. Our character. Let's read verses 7 through 11 together. The word of God says this. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, 
Let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, oh, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter but when absent, we do when present. So our character, as we evaluate ministry, think first about our character. And we, and we heard Paul's experience, but I think as we consider our character, there are some important aspects of that that we need to consider. And the first thing that we see in Paul's life and we should see in ours is that we need to act with sincerity. Act with sincerity. Look at verse seven again. It says, look at what is before your eyes. Now, look in Greek can be an imperative, but it can also be a present active indicative. So it could be translated as, you are looking at what is before your eyes, what is before your eyes. You are looking simply at outward appearances. And really, that's what, that's what was happening in the church of Corinth. We had these false teachers come in the church, and I'm sure they were well-dressed, of course. They had to properly present themselves. Very eloquent. They spoke with good arguments and philosophical pedigrees. Um, but these Corinthian believers were only listening and, and seeing them, but they weren't actually being diligent to seek out the truth. They were, they were judging based on appearances, and they must have forgotten the words of Christ when he, when he said, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And Paul, on the other hand, is saying, listen, every time I've spoken with you, whether by letter or in person, I have spoken with sincerity. And even in the same book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, a few chapters earlier, Paul says this when he talks to them, verse 17 of chapter 2. For we are not, like many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God we speak in Christ. So what Paul is telling the church in Corinth and us today is that we should not be quick to judge others' salvation, spiritual walk with the Lord, solely based on appearances and what we hear. Rather, we should be diligent and with sincerity seek out the truth. Act with sincerity. But secondly, Paul tells us that we should speak with authority. Look at verse eight. And what I love about this verse is that Paul tells us what the purpose of authority is. Once again, verse eight says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. The purpose of authority is to build up and not to destroy the body of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. It's, this is the purpose of authority. And actually this purpose of authority sort of bookends this last section. Because if you look really fast in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 10, almost at the end of the book, he says this, for, I, for these reasons, for this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that God has given me for building up and not for tearing down. See, that's the purpose of authority. One of the main reasons that God gave authority in the local church is actually for this purpose. And Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 and 12, where he says, and he, speaking of Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. 
And then he says, not only is there a purpose for authority, but there's a boldness that comes with it. For he says, even though I, I have to boast a little bit too much about the authority that God has given me for building up and not for tearing down, he says, I'm not gonna be ashamed. See, Paul didn't like to, to talk about his authority more than he had to. Um, but when, he, when it came down to it, when his authority was being questioned, and by his authority, the word of God was being questioned in the church in Corinth, he said, no, I'm not ashamed to proclaim God's truth. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to speak with authority when the truth of God's word is being questioned. And brother and sister in Christ, that is true for us too. We are called to speak with boldness and authority the word of God. Now, it is not that you or I have ultimate authority in ourselves. The ultimate authority comes where? From Christ and his word. See here, my, my opinions don't really matter a whole lot. What, it matter, what matters is the truth of scripture. So Paul is saying, do not be ashamed. Do not back down from speaking God's word with authority. So what does that look like for us? It means that when the Bible clearly speaks about a matter, do not back away from declaring that truth when it is being questioned. For example, take lying. Uh, how easy is it for us to fall into the trap of, oh, well, it's just, it's just a small lie, you know, and, and, and everybody else is encouraging us to do that. You know, you can, you can lie on your taxes. It's okay. Otherwise, you won't get the full benefit. Um, but we know the Bible clearly says in Ephesians 4, verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The Bible clearly speaks about lying. Be bold in, in claiming, proclaiming God's authority. What about, what's up, what's up on some toes now? Premarital or extramarital relationships. Cohabitating. Well, after all, we need to know if we're compatible, right? Unfortunately, the Bible says something very clear about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Hebrews also talks about that. And we need to abstain. The point is when the Bible clearly speaks about something, it is our job as believers to boldly and with authority proclaim God's word. Remember the context of this passage. What happened last week? What did Pastor Russell talk to us about? about the tearing down, destroying of strongholds and arguments and every lofty opinion that comes against the authority of God's word. So really what Paul is saying is that, listen, my aim, believers, is, is to build you up, not to tear you down, but it is to tear down any argument against God's authority, against God's word. Our character should be people that act with sincerity, speak with authority, and then also live with integrity live with integrity. In, in, in verses 9 through 11, we see the detractors, these false teachers, part of their tactic to gain a following in the church in Corinth was to attack Paul's character. And so they said a couple things about him. Look in verse 9. They said that Paul was trying to intimidate or to terrify the church in Corinth by his, his weighty and strong letters. Paul says, I'm not trying to frighten you. Paul says, actually, everything that I've done, whether in, in written word or in spoken word with my presence, was because I love you. Earlier in this book, in chapter 7, verse 3, Paul said, I do not say these things to condemn you, but I said them, I said before that you are in our hearts to die together, to live together. Later on in chapter 12, verse 15, Paul's going to say, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls 
by loving you more, am I to be loved less? Paul's saying, the reason, my brothers, the reason I wrote these things, the reason I said these in person is, be, is not because I want to intimidate you, it's because of the deep love that I feel for you. And because of my love, I do not want you to be drawn astray by false teachings and by false prophets, but to know and to embrace and to live by the word of God. The false teachers also said, well, you know, that Paul, he's, he's all bark and no bite. They said that right here in your Bible. Did you read that? Look what it says. Not exactly those words. Verse 10, for they say, well, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech of no account. You see, they mistook Paul's humility and his dependence on the Holy Spirit for weakness. And they said, well, his speech is of no account. But see, that was never Paul's aim to begin with. And if you look at the first letter we have of Paul's uh, correspondence with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, listen to what Paul writes them. This is the reason why Paul's speech was of no account. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, these false teachers were resting in their wisdom to win over the church in Corinth. And unfortunately, as we're going to get to the next chapter, we see they were, they were having some success. And so Paul writes and says, no, no. And no, I am, Paul saying, Paul saying, what you see is what you get. That's what he said in verse 11. Let such a person who says this understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul saying, what you see is what you get. You see, Paul could act with integrity because he knew who he was in Christ. He had his identity set firm in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do your works match your words? Or otherwise, do you practice what you preach? Are you a person of integrity? As we consider ministry in, in general, we talk about our, our character. Are we people who act with sincerity? Do we speak with boldness and authority of God's word? Are we living with integrity? But secondly, not only do we consider our conduct as we evaluate ministry, but we also consider our criteria. So what are the criteria for evaluating ministry? Verses 12 through 16, let's read those together. Paul says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even unto you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you 
without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So here we have the criteria. And Paul's going to lay out two different standards for measuring ministry. He's going to talk about the faulty standard um, that the false teachers are using and then the faithful standard based on the word of God. So look at verse 12. Verse 12 tells us the faulty standard. And here Paul is, is being quite ironic in his, in his message. He's saying not that we dare to classify ourselves or compare ourselves with those who classify and compare themselves with others. He said it's ridiculous. He said what they do is without understanding. He said, because they, they commend themselves and they compare themselves and they measure themselves by themselves. He said, it's, it's foolishness. So as we look at our ministry, how are we, what standard are we using to measure our service to the Lord? Is it this faulty standard? Well, what are some questions that determine if it's a faulty standard? First, am I commending myself? Am I commending myself? And to commend myself means, am I praising myself? Am I patting myself on the back? Because that's exactly what the false teachers were doing. They were commending themselves. They were praising their own work. Um, and Paul says, I, I don't dare stoop to their level of spiritual immaturity and, and really their lack of spiritual life. He said, I, I will not do that. Um, maybe Paul remembered Proverbs 27, verse 2, that says, let another praise you and not your own mouth a stranger and not your own lips. So question, do you commend yourself? And of course the answer is going to be, well, of course not, of course not. Well, no, think, think about it. When you do something to serve the Lord, as you serve in your ministry, your area of service, where, you, where you're using your gifts, your talents, and your abilities to glorify God and edify the body of Christ, do you find yourself saying, Hey, guess what I was able to do last week? I was able to do this, this, this. Do, are you commending your own service? Do you feel that the only way for you to get credit for what you've done is for you to talk about it? That's exactly what the false teachers are doing. Unfortunately, that can sometimes be true of us. Let it not be so. Second question, are you measuring or am I measuring and comparing myself to others? That's exactly what they did once again. The second part of verse 12 says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're foolish. They're without understanding. So this means two things. It means first that you measure yourself or you, you consider yourself as the measurement for other people and then you measure others to evaluate yourself. So what it is, is, is they, these false teachers created their own mutual admiration society where they all loved each other and they all commended each other and they, they pat each other on the back. They would write raving reviews about each other's books. Probably not in this time, but they would today if, that were, if this were the case today. Um, and they would praise each other and give positive feedback for, them, for something that wasn't even positive. So they were using themselves as a way to measure everybody else. They said, well, if, if you start doing what I do, you're almost there in the Christian life. You're getting closer. You know, because of course I am the standard. And then they would, they would compare themselves with others. So they would take the sinners or the immature in the church and they would say, well, I'm much better than them. Oh, poor thing. Look what he's struggling with again. <sighs> Not us. And so they would, they would try to find someone that was, that was lower than themselves, so they thought, to make themselves look better. God forbid that we evaluate how we serve the Lord in that way. Well, if you do as much as I do for the Lord, then you're getting there. Oh, I, I did much more than he did last week. 
our church is much better at, you know, pastors do this all the time. Let it not be so in this church. Do not compare what God does here with what God is doing somewhere else. Am I measuring or comparing myself? You see, out of, out of all flattery, I believe that self-flattery is the worst. When you're looking for applause and when you don't get it, you have to applaud yourself. You see, and, and this standard is faulty because it was based on, 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 on human opinions and a human standard and it's only focused on outward appearances. But when we, went, when we let the Holy Spirit measure us according to God's word, on God's standard that looks at the heart, that's where there's praise to be found. My daughter uh, is very crafty. She loves all kinds of crafts. Um, just recently, she picked up cross-stitch. She's learned how to cross-stitch, but she loves crafts and coloring. Um, my son loves to create things. Uh, he loves taking pieces of paper, and he can do origami. I can't even imagine how he did it. He tries to explain it, and he's light years ahead of me. Uh, but a few years ago, he, well, he would love to make his own rulers out of paper. So he would take pieces of paper together and then make his ruler. And then he, he would write his little tally marks in inches. And then he figured out what centimeters were. So he added centimeters. Um, and he would go around measuring things in the house. Um, you could even measure himself. And, and he could make anything be as long or as short as he wanted to because he had a self-created ruler. So you, you could be a Goliath when you're only four foot something. Um, you know what, unfortunately, this is like a lot of people today who fail to see their need for salvation because they're using a faulty standard of measurement. And that faulty standard is, well, I'm better than he is. I saw my neighbor yesterday. That's definitely not me. Well, everybody says I'm a good person. And you know, I, I am. I know I'm not perfect. I get that. But I'm definitely better than most. I mean, surely there's got to be something there. That's a faulty standard of measurement. Because when we go to the word of God, we see examples of people like Isaiah, who when he was in the presence of God, he, he said, woe, woe is me, for I am undone, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips that dwells within people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And then you go to the New Testament. Paul tells us very clearly in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the standard is Christ. The standard is God's holiness, and we all fall short. We are, we are sinners by nature, and then we, we, we confirm that by our conduct every day. If, if you and I could earn or merit our salvation, Christ would not have died to provide it. Oh, but my friend, he did. He did die. Because he saw that we could not measure up and that in our not measuring up what we deserve is eternal condemnation in hell. That's what you and I deserve for our sins. And knowing that there was nothing that we could do to, to undo that condemnation. In the extreme manifestation of love, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to shed his blood on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous, he being the righteous, we being the unrighteous, to, that we, he might bring us to God. And through his death and through his resurrection, Christ provides you today with eternal life, with forgiveness of sins, with a hope for a future. If you would just repent of your sins, turn away from them, and turn to Christ. Accept his forgiveness today.
My friend, if you're here this morning and you have not done that, what is holding you back? You don't measure up, neither do I. But Christ fulfilled that standard of measurement for you on the cross. Come to him today. Paul says, don't follow a faulty standard. Follow a faithful standard of measurement. Continuing on your notes. Verses 13 through 16, Paul tells us this. Verse 13, for example, says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. First question, as we consider this faithful standard of measurement, am I ministering within the area of influence that God has assigned me? Using the language that Paul used. It's as if Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you know, I'm, I'm running in my own lane. I'm, I'm not, I haven't been running outside my lane. Paul's saying, I'm not trying to take credit for somebody else's work. I'm not even trying to take credit for something that God has done. But, as he said before in this, in this book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 5, said, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything from coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. You know, and in this chapter, in chapter 10, and even in chapter 11 and 12, Paul's going to talk about boasting quite a bit. And if you tune into Beyond the Notes this week, we're going to talk about what it means to boast in the Lord, um, what it means to have a healthy kind of boasting. So tune in this week for that, because time does not allow us this morning. Um, but the question is, am I ministering in the area of influence that God has given me? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4.10 that as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So God has given you gifts and abilities. He's given you an area of service. So the question is, instead of comparing my service and my abilities with somebody else's, am I being faithful in, with, with what God has given me? Are you being faithful and using your talents, your gifts, your abilities to serve God, to glorify him and edify his church? Second question, am I reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul continues to say that it's not as if we're overreaching by coming to you because after all, we were the first by God's grace to reach you with the gospel. Uh, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 4.15. says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul was the one who originally taught them the gospel and started this church. He wasn't usurping somebody else's authority, as the false teachers were doing, but he was continually being faithful and reaching others for Christ. So quick question for this, a quick question for this question. Are you, am I, intentionally looking for opportunities to share my faith? Are you? I praise God this week. I had the opportunity in my office to, to share my faith with somebody. At the end of the conversation, we found out he is also a believer, so we praise God for that. Um, but if, if you look, God will give you people that come across your path with whom you can share your faith. As we evaluate our ministry, one of these questions is, are you being faithful and intentional on sharing your faith with others? And then the final question to consider are the criteria of this faithful standard is am I encouraging others to grow in their faith? In verse 15, Paul says, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence 
may be greatly enlarged. Paul's desire for the Corinthians was that their faith would grow. And I believe it's for two reasons. One, he says, I want your faith to grow so that you can also start sharing the gospel around where you live. He says, as I have tried to create disciples out of you, now you go and create disciples of your neighbors and your friends. And also Paul says, I want you to grow because as you grow in your faith, you will not fall prey to the infiltration of false teachings as you have been right now. So, so here at McGregor, how do we determine if we are growing in faith? Well, as we just saw before the message, we have a purpose statement. And so I want to remind us of that purpose statement, which is this. By God's grace, we desire to glorify God by magnifying his word to develop disciples who, here's our four measures, who think biblically, live missionally, give generously, and love sacrificially. So question, how are you encouraging others to grow in those four areas? Are you encouraging them to think biblically? Are you inviting them to the next Know the Word workshop? Or inviting them to a Bible study? Man, I haven't seen you in life group. Come on, let's, let's study the Word together. Are you encouraging them to live missionally? Said, so, I mean, I have a neighbor who doesn't know the Lord, but would you mind coming over with me and we can share the gospel with them together? Are you encouraging them to give generously? Hey, next summer, let's both serve in VBS. Let's give of our time. Are you encouraging somebody else to love sacrificially? Man, I know that person said something really mean to you. Why don't you write them a note and encourage them instead? Why don't you love them sacrificially? Paul says, as we evaluate our ministry, we need to consider our conduct. Is your conduct godly? We need to consider our criteria. Are you measuring on a faithful standard of measurement? And then finally, our, co our commendation. Verses 17 and 18. Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul's reminding the church in Corinth that they should not be boasting in themselves like the false teachers did. They should not even be boasting in Paul and definitely not boasting against Paul, but rather if you boast, boast in the Lord. And here he's referring to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 that says, thus says the Lord, let not the mighty man the wise man, I'm sorry, boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, and that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. May, may we be a church who boasts not in what we can do for the kingdom, but what God has done through us. What God has done in spite of us and by his grace, what he's done in and through us. And in this way, our ministry can measure up when we serve with a godly character, when we strive to edify the body of Christ and when we seek not men's commendation, but the Lord's. May we be found faithful in ministry. And on that day, may we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master.